welcome to the Face Seeking Understanding podcast. I'm Roland. This is Matt. And we're busy going, or continuing through the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you haven't watched the previous episode, highly recommend you to go back to that and listen to it. Um, it lays the foundation for what we're, where we're going to be going in the next few episodes. And it's quite important to sort of grapple with that ahead of time, <laughs> which is why we did it first. Um, in this episode, we're going to continue. So we kind of looked a bit at chapter one, mainly just at the first few verses of chapter one. Yeah. Um, we're not going to spend too much time on the rest of chapter one, although um, we can say a few things about it, I guess. So um, right out the gate, Kahlet, um gives his kind of grand, very um, frustrated exclamation, you know, this hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. Like, you're like, whoa, okay, why is this guy so irritated about at everything? Like, what's going on, right? Yeah. And the things he goes through are quite interesting and informative to see, like, um, what's he going through. So there we raise the, the thing that he wants, which is we've labeled happiness, which is what does man gain by all the toil, the witching toils under the sun? Or you use the word profit. Um, yeah, what profit is there for anyone in their labor? In their labor, okay. He, meant, he points out a lot of things that maybe seem a bit unconnected, disconnected. So generation comes, generation goes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and sets and then goes back to where it rised. Um, the, the seas just keep, the, the rivers keep flowing into the oceans, but then the oceans never seem to fill up. Yeah. It's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and then he says, all things in verse eight, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. How, would, how did you translate that in your... So, um, Stuart Weeks makes a, a pretty good point that um, we we could actually we could actually read this as a as a question: Are all words overused such that a person is unable to speak? Um, I mean, behind that is oh. this idea that um, the Hebrew word davar can mean thing or a word. Okay. So um, it's it's continuing the same line of thought that we've had um, up until now that there's this um, relentless perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and in verse 8, it seems to turn toward the senses. So, are all words overused such that um, somebody is unable to speak? The eye is never sated from seeing, nor the ear from hearing. Whatever has happened will happen again. And it, in sort of turning the focus toward the human senses, it's saying like, well, we can keep speaking, but you know, we're not going to run out of words. Yeah. Um, okay. It just kind of keeps going and going and going, like like the wind, like the rivers going to the sea, um, like the sun rising and the settings. On, on. And that's particularly on, important on, to him, I think, because he wants on, to know what and on. <laughs> he wants to know what humans are supposed to be doing here, right? Uh, and so he starts looking out at the world around him, and it's like doesn't seem like it's moving towards anything. It just keeps coming back to where it, it uh, started, and then we're caught up in that same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what if we say, if we see, or if we hear, or anything? That's just we're not really making any progress, some discernible progress towards something that can be considered like a, well, happiness, right? Like mm-hmm. that's ultimately what he wants is he wants to, in order to get happiness, if I'm not happy now and I need to be happy in the future, right? That's what, I, that's what I'm aiming for. Then there's going to have to be some kind of progression from where I am to where I will be. Yes, here I am in Groundhog Day. Yes, but yeah, wherever I look, no matter wh- what angle I look at it from, nothing seems to be progressing towards mm-hmm. anything. So how the heck am I supposed to figure out how to progress to anything there seems to be this like lack of achievement yeah um there isn't there isn't anything where you can say look i've accomplished this um verse 10 look this is new well it's already been done you're you're not you're not anything special yeah um 
there's no remembrance of the beginning and moreover of the future that'll still be. There's no memory of it with the people who will come after them. Nothing seems to, it seems to be impossible to do something that really matters mm. in some sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm, the obvious thing that I'm reminded of here is the Ozymandias, uh, Mandias poem where he's like, he was this great pharaoh or whatever and then, but no one remembers him. All he, all he can find is this like, worn out statue that like you know only someone in archaeology would be interested in looking at and so on um i seem to remember this i've forgotten all the details now but um there was some king who'd done something um and they like they took relentless records of of these sorts of things and he tried so hard to get this thing out of the records so like they wouldn't hold on to it but in the end he wasn't successful and so all that we can, all that we really remember, all, all that we really have a record of about this king is that he spent so hard, so much effort and he tried so hard to get rid of this record about That's this so bad funny. thing that he'd done. So after trying so hard to have that one thing removed from the record, it's now the only thing we know about him. That is amazing. That's a great example of Hevel. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Okay, so he starts out, I, I mean, I would say he does this, he'll do this again later, but right now, I think we can say he's starting out in a fairly poetic way. He's mm -hmm. kind of waxing lyrical, kind of making these grand statements, which now he wants to, so, sort of almost the conclusion of his investigation, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, which sounds a bit bleak, and we're going to explain why it doesn't make him a heretic later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but for now, we're just going to inhabit this conceptual world that he's in, right? Yeah. Um, he then, in verse 12 to 18, he kind of introduces again, he's like, kind of like, okay, okay, I've got that off my chest. Now let me kind of start you, let me just take you through how I got to this conclusion, mm -hmm. okay? So he starts out introducing the project that he was trying to do. And here we see the thing that we mentioned um, back in the first episode, I think, where wisdom is connected to Solomon, mm -hmm. right? Which is why we're looking at this together with Proverbs. He doesn't say that he's Solomon, no. And he's probably not Solomon. He says that he's Kohelet. He said he's Kohelet, and he's probably not Solomon, um, because if he were, a lot of this does a lot of the, the claim itself doesn't really make much sense. Like he's like, I've been greater than every king over Israel before me. It's like no, if really. you're Solomon, there was two kings over Israel before you. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a not a really great claim. And if we're talking about a king in Jerusalem, that's yeah, namely my dad. Yeah. <laughs> so. He's probably not um, actually pretending to be Solomon, but he's sort of taking on the persona of someone who is in the best possible situation to figure out how to find happiness, yeah. right? Like if if he's going to do it, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be him. Jenny Barber actually makes a, a pretty compelling case, I think, that what's going what's going on in the book of, of Ecclesiastes, and particularly in these in these first two chapters, is as alluding to Solomon as a, as a kind of key centerpiece that, you know, Israel's archetypal wise king. You can't get around that. That mm -hmm. Like, you, you can't help but think of Solomon. But in some of the descriptions that kind of come out later on, you've also got some pretty strong resonances of some others, like Hezekiah, mm -hmm. um, even David. Um, and look, the case that she makes is that actually this is um, somebody casting their, their eye over the history of Israel and saying, if we gather all these together, Kahal, um, uh -huh. if we gather all this together, then we get this portrait of the life and times of the nation of Israel in some sense. Okay. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting case um, uh, that she makes. But I think it, 
or um, for our purposes, it just supports the point here that that you're making that it's not actually Solomon, but in casting his mind to or making the reader cast their mind over to somebody like Solomon, you kind of think, well, if we think of the achievement of all all the things that Israel could have achieved, um, then what does it amount to? Mm-hmm. And like. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, when you read the literature on Ecclesiastes, there's a lot of speculation about the context in which this is being written to, right? Yeah. And uh, a lot is made of that, and it's difficult to know exactly where, because he gives us some hints, um, but, you know, we can we can date it, but it's in terms of the particular context that he's trying to poke at, mm. not always super clear. Um, one that I know, uh, was it Knut Heim? I think he talks about how, like, we're maybe looking at post-exilic or in the exile where there's a lot of general prosperity in Babylon. And they're, um, they're able to, the Israelites are able to like benefit from that, mm. even if they're not like the, you know, the main citizens that are there. Um, and that with that comes a certain temptation, right? We kind of discussed this at the end of Proverbs. With that comes a certain temptation to strive after happiness in a particular set of ways. Like mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, I, I'm in control of my own happiness. Like I can achieve these things in various yeah. ways. Yeah. And in casting him himself in this light, he's like, well, okay, take what you have now, like take it to infinity. Okay. Think of the best of the best. Think of the best version of what you can possibly have right now. And let me show you why that fails. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a, it's a big rhetorical move to be like, it's not going to work. So then it raises this question, which then is explored throughout the rest of the book. Okay. Well, how then should we live? Yeah. Um, so whether or not you think that Knutheim is exactly right in terms of where he places it, you can at least, you can see it as somewhat of a critique of, um, at least intuitive ways that you might pursue happiness. Yeah. Even if you maybe aren't even in a particularly prosperous time, you could think, well, if you're in prosperity, you think, okay, I can achieve happiness by this prosperity. If you're not in prosperity, then you could be like, man, if only I was prosperous, then I could achieve happiness. Yeah. So either way. Okay. So in this beginning... But the uh, one verse twelve to eighteen, he he kind of hints at I think the two ways. Although it's not super clear, I, I'll admit. But he kind of hints at the two ways in which he would pursue happiness. So before we get there, Matt, yes, Doctor, if you're a Hebrew, you're a Hebrew philosopher, yeah. okay, and you you you're setting out to find happiness. What are the conceptual tools that you're going to use to get there? What are the categories that you think this thinking thinking terms of to find happiness? I mean, we've just spent a lot of time thinking about the book of Proverbs, so I want to say <laughs> Torah and wisdom. Torah and wisdom. Okay, yeah, the, those those would be my go-to. Okay, and it's interesting because we don't see much Torah uh, in in the body of Ecclesiastes, although it does sort of come out at the end a little bit. Um, There's some allusions in the. Um, like chapter five alludes to a part of Deuteronomy, so it's not like it was completely out of his mind but yeah. yeah it's not it's not the strong like in Proverbs we, we saw this repeated exhortation pay attention to Torah tie it around your fingers you know put it everywhere rotate your life around it yeah and that just doesn't doesn't seem to, seem to apply here okay, let's yeah <laughs> angle um, and we'll see why I think in what comes why he doesn't do that um, in many ways I think it makes sense if he is doing what we're saying he's doing you're not going to, like, one of the best ways to show someone that they need to turn to the Torah mm. is by showing that the alternative is self-destructive, mm. self-defeating. Right. And it's like, okay, well, your best alternative then is to 
look to God. So he's almost working at a level that's before that question of um, Torah. It's like, oh, do I follow God or do I do my own thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and his argument, I, I would claim, is that he needed to follow God. Um, yeah. So the categories I would say that jump to mind then is, well, you got folly and you got wisdom. Right, we had we had that lady folly, lady wisdom at the end of Proverbs, well, throughout Proverbs, right? And it's like, well, those are pretty much like the two lifestyles you can have. <laughs> so you can have folly, you can have wisdom. Now, folly is a bit of a strong word. Uh, I think the thing that characterizes the fool is that they do whatever their heart desires. Sure. Um, so if the heart in Hebrew thought is not always a bad thing, right? Like your heart is more like kind of like your mind, but sometimes just following your heart in the way that it leads in an unreflective manner, it can have negative connotations to it. Mm. Similar to in the way that um, it does today, but I don't think it's necessarily emotional. Mm. Um, it could just be like, you know, if you are if you want to be rich, then you could be very shrewd and you can pursue money because that's what you're, very, that's what you're passionate about. Mm. Um, very little emotion, but you're still following what your heart, where your heart takes it. So there's that sort of unreflective following of the heart. And there's, an, in terms of the pursuit of the things that it wants. And then there's the sort of more reflective path of wisdom where you train your heart to um, desire the things that it desires and bring it under the guidance of things external to yourself. Mm. Um, and it seems to me that those are the two sort of broad categories that he's looking at here. In the first bit, 12 to 15, um, he starts off by saying, I applied my heart to seek and search out wisdom, search out by wisdom. So he, he always emphasizes this, even when he's following his heart, he's like, I'm still using wisdom. Uh, whether it's the good kind of wisdom we saw or the bad kind of wisdom we saw when talking about Proverbs remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, but he's always like, you can imagine it's like, I'm I'm not letting go of wisdom, but I'm also not letting it drive. I'm kind of, right. I'm being quite skillful. I'm like, let, my heart's deciding what I should do. And wisdom is helping it achieve that. Mm. And sort of taking notes on the side, you know, keeping score yeah. so that it can evaluate what's going on. Yeah. Right. Whereas the fool isn't doing that. The fool is very unevaluative in his pursuit of things. Yeah. Um, and then he talks about things that you can do, right? So um, he's like, there's, I'm being kept busy. And the thing that he gets frustrated with in verse 15 is that what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted, right? Mm. So it's like, what am I supposed to be doing? Where's my heart supposed to be driving me to pursue something? I was like, well, I don't know. Um, so then in the second part, it's more emphasis on wisdom. So I have a cry great wisdom. Um, let me understand wisdom and madness and folly. And then in verse 18, when he kind of, is a bit bleak about this. He says, for in much wisdom is much fixation. And mm. he who increases knowledge increases in sorrow. So here he's not so much doing something per se. He's more like pursuing wisdom and saying, well, even in the pursuit of wisdom itself, you just get vex vexed. It's just frustrating. Mm. In both cases, Hevel is at the, the problem here. Mm. Right? Like, yeah. Although that'll, that'll only come out later. That will only come out later. Yeah. He but, only uh, mentions Hevel once over here in verse 14. In verse... Yes, in verse 14, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so that's the best. So that's his introduction, his his prosaic introduction, if you could call it that. His, his poetic and his prosaic. I think prosaic's the right word. Like that, prose? I, yeah. I'm just going to look this up real quick. When you said it, I just kind of thought, yes, that's... that's yeah, commonplace, unromantic. Yeah. <laughs> it's unromantic introduction. It's unromantic, well, it's, yeah. <laughs> so then, in chapter 2... I would say he now gets into the body of it. So yeah. it's still, even in the in this prosaic introduction, he hasn't actually shown us where the problems are supposed to be. Right. 
he just sort of said, okay, well, you can do some stuff. You can follow your heart, do some stuff. And that's not going to be really good. You're going to find out that nothing you do is going to work out the way that you want it to work out. Or nothing that you look into, even though you'll gain wisdom, is just going to make you more bleak and sad about things and more confused. Mm. So you'll get more wise, but you'll also get more confused. So like, what's, what's the heck? What the heck is the point? Right. But he doesn't actually tell us why. He just says that that's what's going to happen. Mm. And so now in chapter two, he's like making his argument. He's saying, cool, I'm, I'll show you how this works itself out. Okay, so now we have an interesting thing because now instead of two things, there's three things. Hmm. Why? Okay. Well, we'll get there. So in the first one, the first part is just his um, following his heart, right? So that's 2 verse 1 to 11, okay? Um, so he says, he says, I said to my heart, come, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So there he's very clearly saying like, just do whatever you want mm. and I'll, I'll make it happen. Just you tell me where to go. Um, you, you, you point me in the direction and I'll help you get there kind of thing. And so then that's exactly what we see. We see him doing all sorts of things, some of which are very pleasure oriented. Like he, um, he has lots of, uh, does he say he has, he has like sexual stuff? I think he does. Um, it's, it's not entirely clear. Um, so uh, many concubines, they said in verse eight, yeah. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Yeah. So it's. It's difficult. Okay. <laughs> um, Stuart, Break it down for us. Stuart Weeks, I think, makes an, an interesting point there. Well, okay. The, the the words that I use there, I don't think are terribly common. Okay. Um, the the and when we don't have when a word's not very common, then it's quite difficult, it's difficult to kind of, yeah no for certain one what it means. Um, some of the other some of the other older versions, um, I want to say, I forget. I didn't make a note. I didn't make a note here of, of which ones, but some of the ancient versions, whether that's the Septuagint, the Greek translation, or maybe the Syriac, or um, some of those age, ancient versions, or at least one of them, has gone with something along the lines of um, fine wine table and settings. So it's, oh, wow. it's not at all concubines. It's not at all sexual. It's just uh, the finer things of life. Yeah. I mean, either way, I think the point is made that yeah. it's indulgence. Indulgence, um, that's a good word. And... Yeah. Um, I, I quite like I quite like that suggestion, a fine wine table and settings, um, because it's sort of like it, it matches along with the the rest of his accumulation mm-hmm. that I built these fancy things, I have got I mean, how how pompous does it sound when he says that he has male and female choirs? Yeah. I've got my own personal choir. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, he gathered for himself then, silver and gold. Um he got yeah. Huge flocks. He made for himself entire gardens and um, vineyards and all these sorts of things. But that's, your, that's the other thing. That in verse 8 there, it's in the same breath as I accumulated silver, gold, treasure, mm, um, mm. and land. So like fine dining would be more in line with that. Then they also became a, a raucous. Yeah. <laughs> Bearing in mind that we still don't know. Um, yeah. Like we're, we're very uncertain about that. But there's, there's a level of appeal there. But yeah. anyway, the, the point being enjoying the finer things of life. Yeah, like the the point stands either way. So yeah, and so this is basically he's trying to basically build himself up, right? I mean, yeah. if we were to say today, you'd be like, I got private jets, I mm. I had a multi billion dollar company, I was yeah. you know, or whatever you would say is your thing. I became super famous, or I you know, um, things like that. Yeah. And then when he summarizes it, it's exactly what we say. So it's a every in verse ten, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I, I kept no pleasure from my heart. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and that was my reward for my toil. So that he's basically stating that thing I said in the beginning, where it's like, follow your heart, yeah. right? And he's like, and he did that really well. He did that. Mm-hmm. He says, I learned how to lay hold onto folly, right? In verse three. So it's sort of like, he's very much living the way that the fool would live, mm-hmm. even though he's not being a fool, because he's, he's doing this as an experiment to investigate by wisdom how to live the life, how to live the good life. Whereas a fool would never do that. Right. Right? The fool is unreflective. So where's the problem then? Right? <laughs> like, where's the supposed problem? And, and the only verse that could be talking about the problem is verse 11, where he says, mm. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was heaven and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That nothing to be gained there. There's no yeah. profit under the sun. No profit under the sun. Okay. It's a programmatic question there in, verse, in 1 verse 3. What profit is there for a person in all their labor? There you go. At which they labor under the sun. Um, look, it's all hevel, like 1 verse 2 as well. And there is no profit under the sun. Mm. And this is while he's busy cons- um, considering his labor. Yeah. So There you go. Perfect. He's answering his question. He's answering his question. Yeah, he hasn't like moved on to something. He's still... Mm. So the question is like, what is he actually... What's the problem he's trying to hang on to here? Uh... I think there's two things to think about here. I think the one is that, which are indicated by like what he's doing, like why after he built a house, did he need to make gardens and parks? And why after that, did he need to get slaves and things? And why after that, did he, was he not satisfied with that and had to go on to the herds and the flocks? And after that, he was like, well, okay, that's not it either. Uh, presumably at no point, did he ever find anything that had lasting, delight to his heart mm. his heart got what it wanted yeah. and then it always just wanted the next thing right yeah. we we see this a lot these days when you when especially very self-reflective celebrities who've gotten to like you know a-list status and have gotten a lot of money and they say like i got there and then and then there was nothing there yeah. which is a very heavy like thing to say yeah. um and and the, this is the same case like the very list that um the very listing right that makes him sound like he did really well is a clue that there's something wrong because the list needs to be so long, right? Like he just keeps going up to the next thing. Um, and so each time he did succeed in getting what his heart wanted, but his heart just was never satisfied. It always wanted just the next thing. Mm-hmm. So that's the one problem. The other problem that I see in this is it, it just thinking about what would need to happen in order for these things to, to be achieved. Yeah. Like how much effort would it have had to have been right you have to like talk to consultants and architects you have to plan things you have to think about you have to like yeah sure you get the herds and flocks now you have to manage all of the um the people that are in charge of that like there's just so much effort expended for what it reminds me that reminds me very much of the idea of like i work six five days a week so that i can have two days break it's like bro you are wasting like five out of seven days of your life then if, if you're not taking pleasure in what you're doing yeah it's a slug to get what you actually want which is only like a short percentage of the time. Or people are like, I work, uh, you know, 360, 350 days a year so I can take 14 days off. Mm. Bro, yeah. you, need to re- you need to reevaluate. Like that's not, yeah. like those, maybe those 14 days are amazing, but you're wasting more than 90% of your time on, on toil, yeah. right? And I think, so there's something inherently wrong with his, he distinguishes between and this is what he'll pick up later, but he distinguishes between the reward and his toil. 
Like, he does say, my heart found pleasure in all my toil, but I don't think he's saying, I enjoy the toil. I think he's saying that my toil, like, gave fruit to the things yeah. that I wanted. Yeah, yeah. So I, th I think toil there is um, sort of being used as a proxy for what comes of his, what he's earned from his Yes, toil. yeah. So I think that's the problem then, yeah. right? Is that those two aspects of it where it's like, it's fleeting or it's short-lived, the pleasure, uh, and you, your heart just kind of goes after the next thing. So following your heart maybe isn't the best the best thing. It's not a particularly stable <laughs> yeah. target. Yeah. Uh, and the second thing is following your heart, especially with the greater and greater things, is really hard. And you aren't, like you're expending all of this effort that you don't enjoy in order to enjoy something for a fleeting moment before your heart asks you to move on to the next thing. Yeah. Pain in the ass, man. So <laughs> just a quick spanner in the works. Yeah, please. If we are talking about folly and wisdom, and we're going to talk about wisdom in, in two different senses just now, but, yeah. but if the, the choice at the moment is between folly and wisdom, yeah. how did he accomplish his great things without wisdom? Yeah, so wisdom think, seems like it, lo it looks like wisdom is part of the picture. Definitely. Yeah, and and he's, he says thing. twice, right? Like, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom in verse 3. And in verse 10, he says, no, sorry, in verse 9, he says, also my wisdom remained with me this whole time. Yeah. So he's definitely, I, I don't think he's being a fool. I think he's um, getting his goals like a fool gets his goals. So the fool just follows his heart in an unreflective manner. Um, and that's sort of characteristic of the fool. Whereas the wise man takes the lesson, we saw takes the lesson from Torah, from God, or from the people outside of him. Whereas the, the fool just follows whatever he wants. So he's saying, okay, well, look, I can't be a fool because then I'm going to give up my entire project. So I'll do what the fool does. I'll get my desires from my heart, my unreflective heart. But then when I actually execute on it, I'll use my wisdom to do that. Right. So it's it's a fool in orientation, not in... Um, execution. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the fool is, uh, and he'll say it later, I think, the fool is, you know he's he'll he'll follow his heart in every possible way so it'll be like oh i want to do this i think this is the best way to do this oh i want money i should steal it <laughs> right whereas kyle is more like oh I, I want lots of money okay i'll make a successful business and get lots of money or mm -hmm. i'll i'll do um expensive trades with a foreign country or, or whatever um so that i can really test if money is the problem like i'm not i don't need to be an idiot in order to achieve the money i just yeah, yeah. right okay yeah, so I, he's saying it, it's a bit dis, uh, deceptive to say it's the path of folly. Uh, not deceptive. It's a bit like uh, in, inaccurate to say it's the path of folly. Yeah, and yeah, it's the goals of folly, sure. but not the path of it or something, or the orientation of folly, as you say, but not the yeah, yeah. As long as we we leave some some room in there for um, for his wisdom being put to work, yeah, to achieve these ends. I mean, verse four, I accomplish great things. Well, he's told us already in one sixteen. Behold, I have made myself great and increased in wisdom. Yep. Yep. Um, the idea of greatness and wisdom do seem to go hand in hand in some in some sense. And we mm -hmm. saw in 1 Kings 1 to 11 how Solomon put his work, his wisdom to work in yeah. pursuit of a kingdom that was the ancient Near Eastern royal ideal. Yeah. Um, but in diametric opposition to God's ideal. Yeah. Um, so maybe a, a similar sort of thing going on here in that he's, he's putting his wisdom to work, but yeah, with a foolish orientation. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So folly or the path of folly doesn't work or following one's heart doesn't work. Uh, let that be a lesson to everyone. Happiness is not about following your heart. <laughs> Sorry. 
Yeah. You heard it here first? If, <laughs> hopefully you didn't hear it here first. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so then the question is, okay, so wisdom then. Now, wisdom is different from the first path because it requires training. It requires that you um, do things that are maybe uncomfortable or unpleasant, um, that you reflect on things like death and, mm. and mortality and you know all these sorts of things. And so there's there's two stages, right? If I have to learn then it could be the learning itself that's the benefit. Mm. That's where happiness is, regardless of what it gains for me. Yeah. Or it could be that the learning is a means to an end. That is the happiness. Mm. And that's why we have two sections left. We don't just have one. Okay. Because with wisdom, because of that extra step, you aren't just doing what your heart wants to do. You have to train your heart first. Is it in the training or is it in the effects of that training mm. that the happiness is found? Right. And so he goes through each of them. Um, so that's why he says in verse 12, I consider wisdom and madness and folly. What I think he's saying is he's thinking about wisdom and madness and folly in and of themselves and comparing them. Right. Okay. And so he says, well, wisdom is better, right? Because it, it, you, you basically are walking with your eyes in your head. Right. That's basically his thought. Like if you're going to walk somewhere, it's better to do with your eyes open than with your eyes closed or to do it in the light than in the darkness. And so that's why he uses that analogy, um, to do that. Yeah. What's the what's the problem, would you say, with wisdom? Well, as he sort of tells you, that <laughs> it, in the end, you sort of end, end up in the same place as the fool. The fate of the fool awaits me too. So why bother? But why is that a problem? Well, it, it sort of, I guess, it strikes me as, as um, we land up in the same place. So... Is it is it worth putting in the extra effort when we're gonna? It's it sort of feels like maybe I could get to city center by taking the freeway, or I could take all these back routes, and um, you know one is gonna take longer than the other. One's gonna rely much more heavily on my GPS. I'm gonna have to concentrate to hang a lot more. But at the end of the day, we're both gonna get to the city center. One might sit in traffic, but and the other might get the quicker but you know at the end of the day we're gonna get to the same place so is it worth all the effort if the end goal is the same mm. that's some part strikes me right okay yeah so the way i see if i were to frame what he's saying i would say like he's saying and i think it's the similar idea where it's like okay the first thing to realize is gaining wisdom is difficult mm. it's it's unintuitive it's unpleasant to be reprimanded by people to be think okay so okay let's just take that for granted gaining wisdom is unpleasant Wisdom, however, can help me, say, prolong my life or um, get good things in, in the world. Like, okay, cool. So it's good, but it comes at a cost. Mm. I think his point is that there's diminishing returns on this cost. At a certain point, you can't just prolong your life endlessly mm. by gaining more and more and more wisdom. Right. At a, at a certain point, it just comes to nothing, right? And so, but if wisdom were happiness, right, then you shouldn't have that kind of effect. You should, if, if something is happiness itself, if the pursuit of wisdom is happiness itself, you should be able to do that more and more and more and more and experience more and more and more happiness. Yeah. But he's not, he's like, well, at a certain point, it doesn't matter how much effort you put into it, you're still going to die. So the cost, the cost benefit analysis, if you will, yeah. starts turning the opposite way around. Yeah. So there's an initial benefit for an initial cost and at a certain point it becomes nothing. And so it can't be where happiness is. Hmm. It, it itself, the pursuit of wisdom itself 
cannot right. be happiness. Yeah. So why do you think then? This this puzzled me for a long time, um, but now it seems really obvious. But in verse sixteen, he says, so he just says, okay, everyone's gonna die. Okay, that sucks. And then he says, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that the days to come will be long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So why is he connecting remembrance with dying? Um, to me, it seems like a sense of accomplishment. Okay. Um, that, uh, I guess, sort of along the lines of what we saw in 1 verse 11. Mm-hmm. There's no remembrance at the beginning and moreover the future that'll still be, there'll be no memory of those um, who will come after them, which is right on, comes right on the heels of, look, this is new. Like, no, 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 it's already been. This isn't any claim to fame here. It's already been done. And it seems to be a similar sort of idea here that for the wise person, for the fool, at the end of the day, there's no accomplishment that they'll go down in history um, and um, and have this sort of lasting reputation. They're going to amount to the same thing. That's That's how it strikes me. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think what I realize is like you die again because you could live on, right? I mean, it's interesting because actually Aristotle talks about how uh, when he talks about happiness, mm. he says like, well, could you achieve happiness after you're dead through the benefits of your family, mm. right? And he's like, nah, not really. Right? He gets, <laughs> okay. But there's an interesting thought where like there's a sense in which you live on, your memory lives on um, after you after your body dies. And he's like, no, even that doesn't. So maybe that would be a consolidation. Right? Like, yeah, it takes a lot of time to become wise. And you'll die just like the fool. But at least you'll be remembered forever. No. No. no you'll be don't forgotten. Even, don't even have that. You die. Yeah. There's a, and then, so I, I've been thinking about this since 2009. But then a song came out in 2017 by Macklemore called Glorious. And he says, I heard you die twice. Once when they bury you in the grave. And the second time is the last time that somebody mentions your name. Oof. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Macklemore's been reading Ecclesiastes. <laughs> um, sure. So that, that's pretty much what um, I think Kyle is getting at here. Yeah. It's like, you die properly. Like, there's no, there's no way in which you can keep living on. Mm. Like, you're just gone. Just like the fool. No matter whether you, uh, no matter how much life, uh, no matter how much effort you put into it. Mm. Okay. So now that didn't we're, work. we're running out of we're running out of ideas here, right? So the first idea was follow your heart, that didn't work. Second idea was okay, pursue wisdom at any cost. Turns out that's not worth it. Mm. So the last option is well, uh, in he he kind of in verse thirteen he said, I saw there's more gain in wisdom, more profit in wisdom than in folly, mm. as there's more gain in light than in darkness. So like okay, well maybe the problem isn't in maybe the happiness isn't found in wisdom itself. It's found in the profit that wisdom helps us to gain. And we can see this, right? A wise person would be better at business than a fool. Right. A more skilled craftsman will do better and sell better products than, well, we hope, uh, than a thing. A person who trains harder will more likely win the race mm. and things like this, right? Sure. And uh, so that's that's sort of where he goes into the last ditch effort to figure out what's going on. So where does that start? That's verse 18. Verse 18. Okay. It is sort of a transitionary... Oh, actually, no. Actually, verse 18, you go straight into it. So, I hated all my toil, all my labor, which I do under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who'll come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise he'll be wise or a fool. See, yeah? So, this is, this is the problem, right? Mm. If you think about it, if pursuing something is the way that I achieve happiness, right? 
then if I pursue that and you don't, then I should be more happy than you are. Yeah. But now he's saying, no, I might get the thing, but then I'll just maybe give it to you when I die, who doesn't do anything. Yeah. And so it's not my pursuit that made me get happy. It's pretty much just luck, mm. right? Uh, I could have inherited it from someone else and not needed to bother being um, that. Later, he has the perfect summary of the sentiment uh, later in chapter, um, I think it's chapter 10 or, or chapter 9. He says, the race is not to the swift, mm. right? And it's like, yeah, sometimes the the yeah. person who trained the most and did all these things isn't the one who wins the race. And it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, that's so irritating. Like, that's yeah. so contrary to justice as we would think about it, right? Mm. And so he's like, yeah, it's, it's true. He grants that it's true that like you will do better. You, you will be able, your labors will be more productive if you do them wisely yeah that's great but it, it's not that only the wise are the ones who get the products of wise work fools get the products of wise work as well yeah. and so that pursuit that all that effort that you expend to become wise or to produce the thing it's like not it's like wasted effort mm. it's like so infuriating yeah. uh, and so he doesn't really think that there's much uh <laughs> he doesn't really think there's much there either. In fact, th this is where he kind of gets to a bit of the like the burden, right? And and we see that word vexation coming up again, which he raised in the beginning. Mm. And in verse 23, this is the person who's doing a lot of work, right? And he's taking care of his property. He's um, thinking about the right ways to do things. He's doing a bunch of market research. He's doing all these things. And he says like, for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. E even in the night, his heart does not rest. So he never really gets to like just chill out. Yeah. And like truly enjoy his work. He's almost got like the worst of both of the previous two yeah. situations. Yeah. Um, so he's like, we're screwed, guys. Yeah. This, I, I would say at this point, he says, okay, this can't work. Either you follow your heart or you train your heart. And if you train your heart, it's either in the training itself or the results of that. Mm. None of these give us happiness. And so he kind yeah. of gives up. He throws his hands in the air in verse 24. And he says, ugh. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil itself. Yeah. So not seeing his toil as a means to an end, um, which in, in each of these cases, there was toil, right? In the in the heart uh, pursuing thing, it was the all the work he does up front to um, get the get the benefit uh, or do what his heart wants. In, um, in the wisdom thing, it's all that like extra baggage he takes on in order to be training to be wise. The training and discipline is itself unpleasant and difficult and then in the vanity in the wise toiling it's kind of both i guess <laughs> he, he first had to become wise yeah and then he had to um execute on that uh with all the sort of cost that that took that his wisdom decided was worth it yeah um and so he's like well instead of seeing your toil as means to an end you should just try and figure out how to enjoy that toil itself like what, whichever you end up doing hmm. um and this also then he says this also i saw is from the hand of god for apart from him, who can eat or, or can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering, collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also Hevel in Australian Affluent. So, I mean, that, that last verse there, the one who is pleasing to God, he will give wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. To the sinner, you'll give the job of collecting for the one who, who does please him. Seems exactly the opposite of what he's just said. <laughs> He's, he's, ju he's just made this case that, you know, you could be all wise and stuff. And w where could that get you? You might just find that the moron next door yeah. ends up inheriting your wealth. Yeah. Or 
the moron who comes after you ends up inheriting your wealth. And here he kind of flipped that, flips that on its head and says, well, in God's ordination, the one who works will get his due and the one who doesn't will have his due given to, to the wise one or the one that pleases him. I think the main thing he's trying to get at here is that is what he said is it's from the hand of God. Um, so he's quoting a common way of thinking about things, mm. right? Which is that the righteous people get the benefit from God and the sinners don't get the benefit from God. And so there's a temptation there to think, oh, okay, maybe that's the way I should do it. I should do righteous things mm. and avoid wicked things. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like even this principle underlies the very problem that I'm trying to get across here is that it's not up to you. Mm. It's up to whoever God decides to give. And so it's like, don't bother with this. Don't try and figure this out. Like, how does and how does God do that? Like, sometimes it's really counterintuitive. Yeah, like the sinner might be doing really hectic stuff and executing on very wisely on things and all these sorts of things. Yeah. And like, somehow, no matter how much work he puts into it, like God's just gonna figure out a way to like twist it around and, and give it to this other person. I mean, it's like we saw in the previous episode. We glanced over chapter seven, chapter eight, where there's this perversion of justice and the wicked actually has their life prolonged. Yeah. It, it seems completely opposite to yeah. the way that things should be. Yeah, exactly. And so the point there isn't so much to say, oh, here's this principle that we should live by. It's saying even this principle that we all accept makes the assumption that it's really just up to God and whatever he wants to do mm. and not up to the skill with which we labor or the... The, the way that we choose what we want to pursue, it's just like you're not, happiness isn't going to be found in those things. You have to figure out how to like give up on this notion that you can somehow gain or grasp it yourself and sort of just sit there and be like, please, <laughs> you know, rely, turn to God. Yeah. Which is at this point, maybe not necessarily a positive result, right? I, I think if he's in the persona of someone who is trying to grasp and gain the good life for himself, the happiness for himself, this is a really irritating conclusion to draw. Because it's like, Seriously, there's nothing I can do. Like, yeah, not, not a as a resignation. Thing. Yeah, um, I think in the next chapter he sort of starts over mm. and sees this as a positive. Maybe not as a positive, but he he's more he's sort of come to terms with this conclusion. And it's like, cool, this is what we're gonna do. But uh, right now, I think he's just really disappointed. <laughs> All right then. With that, don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs>